listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast from the 27th of May to the 31st of May. Sarah Smith is on her way to Italy at the moment, so good on her. Uh, this week's highlights included uh, we had a chat with Muriel Bamblett um, talking about Reconciliation Week and also I had a chat about going to the Dreamtime match and also just talked about how it was one of the worst experiences <laughs> Of my life, and and we also got to have a chat about smashing things and how good that is. <laughs> That's right. And uh, we spoke to Hilary O'Shaughnessy talking about how to make a city playable, and also Digger came in to talk about uh, the uses for deciduous leaves, which yeah. is uh, you know outside of turning them into skirts and stuff. Three triple R. National Sorry Day on Sunday and Reconciliation Week commencing today. We're fortunate to be joined by Muriel Bamblett, CEO of Victorian Aboriginal Childcare Agency. Muriel, welcome to Breakfasters. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Uh, it's it's a it's a huge week, and I gather you would have had quite a quite a big weekend as well. Yeah, we had the Dreamtime game, and um, on the weekend they launched the treaty, the opening um, up for nominations for the treaty first assembly, so First Nations assembly. So as you would know, in June. Um, the Premier, we had legislation last year for the treaty making and so we're entering that stage of our relationship with the government. So amazing. So it's open now for um, Aboriginal people, traditional owners of Victoria, to be able to stand for election. So it's going to be 33% people voted into the First Nations Assembly and we're ho- hoping that we can get a lot of young people because we've um, reduced the age to 16 so that we can have young people vote as well. Once that Assembly is formed, what's the next process in place for heading towards treaty? Well, I think that a lot of people think that it, it's a, a very quick process. We're going to have, you know, yeah. sit down and have yeah. it. But, it's, you know, getting that up, it's, we have to really work through what are the ground rules for the negotiations in a treaty process. How do we set up an independent umpire for the treaty process? And how do we create self de- a t- self-determination fund? Because the government's committed to that. Mm. No one's quite sure what's in and what's out. And so at the moment, we still have to decide who are the parties to the treaty process so we have that hasn't been agreed to and whether there will be one single treaty or a number of treaties so we've got six six representative groups across Victoria that'll be nominated into those 33 those 33 positions will go into six regions and from there whether we have six treaties or whether we have one Hmm. and sorry Victoria is the only state that is doing this at the moment is that right well and truly ahead of the rest mm. of the country. We were, um, if there was to be a, a Labor win, they were going to consider that. But Northern Territory has appointed Mick Dodson as um, a commissioner for the Northern Territory. So he's actually looking at a... Tre- he's a treaty commissioner for there. Other states and territories now are beginning. I think that Victoria's always been very progressive. I think people in Victoria are much speaking as a Victorian, a very loyal Victorian. But, you know, like we've really had a much, you know, you can have those conversations, you can have those bold conversations with government. Once upon a time you couldn't mention self-determination in the room Mm. or have governments talk about treaty or rights. So it's, yeah, a very different time for us. So today's the the first day of reconciliation. What makes the dates so significant? Well, I think people would know that, you know, we had um, the, the bridge walks and that changed the relationship and I think we've had, you know, the apology and many things that... A lot of these come out of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths and Custody where the final recommendation there was to have um, reconciliation between Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people of this country. And so um, it was a long time coming and and I think, you know, Howard, John Howard really wanted practical reconciliation. So a lot of people now have um, developed reconciliation action plans and so um, Snake's been... Snake, the national voice, has had a call for action. We've got ourselves wanting to have morning tea so that we can raise awareness. I think I'm talking at my my grandson's school this week on reconciliation. Have you tried to talk to children and young people? (laughs) Um, No disrespect to children and young people, but... Um, it's a very difficult gig, I tell you. Yeah, it's hard to get their attention. Oh, and <laughs> to, to talk to them about um, high-level things about rights, but I think this time I'll focus on culture and the importance of it. Mm. And the, the theme this year 
for Reconciliation Week is walk together with courage. And I think that's a really great one and I think it's really important. Um, Last year we had a theme for NAIDOC, which was Because of Her We Can, and and it was the most sensational... we had so much, um, I think, you know, credit given to our Aboriginal women as leaders in, in the country and, and there's almost a denial that women led at all um, in the field of, you know, Indigenous rights, but certainly we heard a lot of it last year. Uh, you're active in over 30 advisory groups concerning mm-hmm. the Aboriginal community. Yep. Uh, that's insane. But but what, what are some of the issues that are foremost in your mind? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm ch- currently chairperson of the Secretariat for National Aboriginal Child Care. We're doing family matters, but we're involved in developing um, a plan with the Commonwealth Government. So um, we're looking at Close the Gap, and so there's been a whole new partnership, so a different way of working with government. Um, initially, they, there was a Close the Gap, and, but it wasn't built around partnerships, and so the previous agreement that we had in the previous work it was about people doing for Aboriginal people. Now on a Commonwealth level through the leadership of uh, Pat Turner from Nacho, we're actually now driving for a developing a partnership approach with Commonwealth and state to look at how do we close the gap. But we're not using very narrow indicators, so we're really trying to tackle some of the really big issues. And so, you know, things like justice, things like education and health and all of those really wicked things that we, we just can't seem to get a handle on. Mm. So it's going to be states and territories coming together and Aboriginal people, so all 40 peaks are involved, as well as states and territories providing leadership to it. Can we talk about um, one of the other issues is um, the uh, high number of um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in out-of-home care. Yep. Like, it's almost 10 times that of other children. Yep. Um, so, and there's, you've got family matters and there's the week of action. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, um, as you would know, we've got a national body and so family matters were set up really to start to address, really address. We keep talking about it and mm. we've talked about close the gap and it's been very... Uh, challenging for Commonwealth will often say, well, that's a state responsibility. And what we've seen is the various states and territories do very different things. Victoria's invested a lot in child welfare, but when you, particularly Aboriginal child welfare, and over the last four years, particularly investing in culture. And so we've seen a lot of funding going for cultural support plans, going for genealogies, Aboriginality, family finding, doing the, the things that matter to Aboriginal children in the child welfare system. Other states and territories don't often do that, and the funding is very much um, just for the tertiary end of the system. And so I Family Matters is really about getting a a lot more people signed up to say that it's not just an Aboriginal issue and trying to get as many people to sign up to the Family Matters campaign. Now, that means, you know, having morning teas and there's resources and materials and snakes urging people to really get online and look at the Family Matters campaign and sign up to it. Uh, The Reconciliation Week says that uh, to foster positive race relations, our relationship must be grounded in a foundation of truth. Yep. Can you explain why truth is such a powerful aspiration? Well, I think, um, you know, Aboriginal, we had the Uluru Statement from the Heart where people, Aboriginal people from all over the country gathered to talk about constitutional recognition and we've had all these conversations about treaty, constitutional recognition. All of those things are very topical, but I think that what, what at the heart of it was the fact that we need not only a reconciliation but a truth and reconciliation. So other countries such as Canada have moved to truth and reconciliation, telling the truth and once you accept and acknowledge that the truth of this country and there's a greater acceptance that of what's happened to Aboriginal people, I think then you can start to move to reconciliation but a lot of our Aboriginal people think it's just a denial of the truth and, and once I think that's the biggest thing and so you hear of the history and I grew up never hearing about a true history of Aboriginal mm. people and so I, I grew up in, in, in Hillsville and so whilst things were, were tough you know the level of um, support that we got from our community and I think it was local communities and little communities working in a reconciliation approach every day and I think um, for Aboriginal people though it, it, we need to learn about being Aboriginal and we need to be proud of that I think when you go overseas and you tell someone you're an Aboriginal from Australia they, they're like oh wow you're special and I think and you come back to Australia and you don't feel so special 
It's kind of early days for the Morrison government at the moment. Yep. But have you got any understanding of how they're going to respond to some of the issues that you raised today? Yeah, look, um, they've announced that Ken Wyatt is going to be the Minister for Indigenous Affairs and so he's already talking about setting up a different structure and a different way of working with Aboriginal people. So, he, he, you know, we're, our hope is that he develops a government that can work across all portfolio areas so that we can take on a serious commitment to addressing issues of housing, chronic housing, homelessness, chronic issues around drug and alcohol, mental health, those things, but also to put a spin on economic development jobs. Our people, you know, don't aren't just in, you know, the most disadvantaged. We actually want to move people to a prosperity aspect where our people are actually positively contributing. And we know that 80% of our people are, so it's about where the 20% that aren't and how do we actually make sure that they've got future aspirations and that they're realising them. And can you talk us through some of the ways you'd recommend people can get involved for Reconciliation Week? Yeah, like um, from Vaca's point of view, that's, um, I just want to say thank you very much for, you know, obviously 3RRR supports us on many things. Christmas, we've got, you know, amazing presents and your members, you know, our membership actually supported us. But um, we actually wanted to um, promote that, you know, we, we want to put on morning teas and we want to have morning teas because we have a lot of programs that we run for Aboriginal children around um, art mentoring, curitidas, which is the sing young mm. young children that sing and perform, and so we do a lot of work around possum skin cloak that we don't get funding for, and those programs actually are about treatment and trauma. We particularly possum skin cloak it brings in elders and it, it's a, a mechanism to be able to talk to children and and to be able to understand what's what are the traumas and triggers that they're having, and so a lot of our work that we do is not 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 understood well researched or evidenced as to how it makes the difference in children's lives but culture is so important for children to know who they are where they are where they come from and to be proud of their aboriginality because you build that resilience and then they you know do much better at school children that go through aboriginal early years centers actually thrive and are at school ready and developmentally ready so i think People underestimate how important culture is. We all have a cultural base and it's really important for Aboriginal children not only to know they're Aboriginal but to grow up strong and being Aboriginal. Well, good luck talking to the kids yep. this week. <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> you haven't got any tips, have you? That's Geraldine's yeah, forte. Yeah. Jesus, great kids. I'll Take talk to you afterwards. <laughs> Reconciliation you. Week is from now until the 3rd of June and for more details on how to get involved, visit reconciliation.org.au. Muriel Bamblet, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Three. Triple. Um, I don't know if you remember, but last week I told you about getting tickets to the Dreamtime at the G. Yeah. And um, how I, there was an element of doubt of whether those tickets were legit. Oh, yes, yes. Remember yeah, because you'd bought them through a different process to usual. Yes. So there was um, no door listed on the ticket. No, no gate, no gate number. It was just, you know... Um, you know, because it, you know, part of it was doing the long walk, and yes. you know, and I've I've done it every year, and I don't know why I was so. I think it's just, um, yeah, I forget every year what the process is, right? And because it's not really clear. You've done the, the long walk every year, yeah. Since when? Uh, just the last. I've done the last three. I think, oh, yeah, I feel like I can't even remember the. Oh, that's mm. awesome. Yeah, thank you. The first one I did um, when you walk out onto the onto the ground. I remember that mm. one. Yeah. Uh, and then the year later, we I think I missed out on tickets for that. It was too too slow. Um, and this year, they it was a lot more money than it used to be. But also, I think it... Because now it includes... Like, a couple of years ago, you just walked out onto the G, did a lap and then went and sat down. Uh, but when you do it now, you're part of the um, entertainment. So, like, you get to stand there and watch, watch everything. But, man, I would have been... Highly disappointed with you know we were disappointed enough that the entertainment wasn't happening yeah but to not see it up close and stuff that would have been quite disappointing for those people um, so anyway I um, I'd spent I'd been in Venus Bay helping out um, had to get things done there and unfortunately 
things didn't get done, but I had to had to get back. So I drove back to Melbourne and um, you know jumped in the shower and then because uh, the long walk starts at the um, at Fed Square. Yes. So and, and they have stuff happening there all day. Um, you know, there's. You know, Archie Roach was playing and and stuff. Um, I didn't get there in time for that, but I got there. Long walk starts at five thirty, and I figured I'll get there at five. That'll be enough time to get organised. Um, found the place where they were giving out t-shirts, and because we part of the, the long walk, you get a t-shirt or a hoodie. Got the t-shirt, wet that, and I said, "Where do we? Um, what's happening with the tickets?" And they go, "Oh, yeah, the ticket thing. Um, you don't have your ticket yet." I'm like, "Well, I've got this that I bought online." And they went, "Oh, yeah, because the ticketing box where you transfer your ticket for the actual game, they've um, they've packed up now." And I was like, oh, "Okay, so no. what what do I do?" And she's like, "On the she goes, oh yeah, you just get the get it at at the at the game," and I'm like. Okay, but That's where? That's quite a risk, isn't it? That would really scare me. Oh, mate. Yeah. She goes, and I'm like, where? And she goes, you'll know. You just do the long walk and it'll be obvious. I'm like, okay then. Uh, so Famous last words. <laughs> I know, right? So um, Edo and I, we, I said, listen, we'll, you know, let's – we, we're doing this long walk and we did it and it was um, and it's such a great experience actually doing it. I really really love it um, but yeah then we got there and it kind of you follow the crowd and they just went you know people with wristbands go this way the wristband people were walking out so we were not them so we just followed the other people the problem is that they already had all their tickets and they're just lining up at the gate to get in and of course we didn't have a ticket to swipe as we get in so we had to go to, I said to you know one guy I'm like we've got this and he goes oh it looks like this is you've just bought a ticket to do the walk and I'm like no 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 that's mm, it's not a yes okay no um and he goes so maybe just try lining up there and line up again and they're you know at a ticket booth and they're like no i only sell tickets i don't give out tickets here i'm like okay and then go out and ask somewhere else and they're like oh maybe try down yeah try at gate three so you walk down like it was this concert and it's raining were you panicking because it was raining pretty hard as well by that stage not panicking. I was getting uh, annoyed. Yeah, right. Because I had it in my mind that I was, I had, I'm like, it's going to be okay. But then it was just like, I said, realizing that it wasn't a, I hadn't bought fraudulent tickets. It was more yeah. that was a lack of organization that really frustrated me. I was On like, their behalf, not yours. Yeah. I was just, if I had just had have got, you know, why can't that ticket place stay open? Until right the before we starts, go, yeah. Well, they got to go yeah. watch the game, yeah. <laughs> but also, why? Please email us and say, hey, this is where you get your ticket from. This is where you get your t-shirt yeah. from. This is where. You, this is all the information you need to know. And I've got none of that. It was just relying on knowing what I'd done previously. Yeah. Sounds like you're a, you're up for a long walk, just not this long. Oh my! <laughs> so, so it was that you know you know. Went down to one place, and they go, oh, no, I think you need to go down to this gate, but go around to, you know, go past that, you go to the ticket tech booth, and I'm like, I did that. And it was like, by the time we got to this guy, um, I said, we've got there. He goes, oh, no, you need to go to gate one for that. No, we don't. <laughs> we've just come from gate one. And he goes, yeah, I've just spoken to, to this person. She's organising it at all. So she, he gave me this bit of paper with some woman's phone number on it. Oh, my God. And it was just like, what is happening? It just seems happening? so... Cause, like, yeah. Do you know what's so like, And yeah. even, like, I walked past and we saw Briggs. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, Briggs, get us into the game, mate. Get us in. He goes, oh, I'm trying to get in myself. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right, I'll see you later. Um, but it was just this, yeah. And, and then came back and then there was the most wonderful woman who was quite – she was the one that was initially giving directions, going this way, that way. And we went up to her again because she's the one she said, oh, I think you have to go down to gate one, you know. She seemed the one to, to take us seriously and we came back. And we said to her, and she goes, well, how's it going, ladies? How's it going? I'm like, not good. What are we doing? And she goes, oh, hang on a second. And she goes, wait right there, wait there. And then two minutes later she came and she's got a whole pile of tickets. And oh, she my just God. Went, there's, what are they? there's two tickets. Oh, my God. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. But also... Why? <laughs> Why was, was this there easy? a better system? <laughs> Should have been a better system. So it was this such relief to get into the game. 
Were they good tickets? When did, where did you end up sitting? They're just, they're just general admin oh, tickets, cool. but just on, on level one behind the goals in the Ponsford stand. Um, and because it was raining, it was we found a seat right in in the back row. Just you know where people stand. Jeez, that's pretty good for gen, yeah. Um, Normally in a situation like that, I feel better if I see a stranger who's going through the same thing. Oh, yeah, we're finding, you know, because I was looking for other people that had done the long walk because, you know, other people in jumpers. I'm like, where'd you get your chicken? We got it at Fed Square. I'm like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, but, yeah, got these... Great seats in the yeah. awesome yeah yeah I can't really believe, really like, great. It's pretty hard to get seats in GA when it's raining like when it's not raining let alone raining. I know I think it's at the long walks at five thirty. So you're there, you're in in the grounds quite early. Well, how did you miss? Well, <laughs> because because we were in. I said I sent a text to Sarah because you know she said, "Are you in the gym?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm in." And I sent a, a, a text to you saying, "I love I love a Richmond home game. I love it. I love the drums. I love the the music that they play. It's all very exciting and entertaining." And then she sent a text back going, "Oh, to be honest, we don't have the we don't have the fireworks every time." And I was like, what? There were fireworks? How did you not know there were fireworks? Oh, mate, because we were sitting under under the shelter, under oh. the, so we're right back, so you can't see the sky. Ah, oh, so okay, right. No, and they were kind of just on one side of the ground as well. Yeah, so we, I had no, couldn't even hear it. Because <laughs> oh. we were like right back. I thought you were making it up. Oh, because, really? Yeah. <laughs> we were just to turn, yeah. I thought you saw the fireworks and thought, geez, Richmond have a lot of money now they've got oh. 100,000 members. <laughs> no, no, it's just, it was more about the drums. You, um, you know the best bit about the fireworks? When they set them off, so they went pew, and then about 50,000 pigeons flew up oh. in the sky at the same time. It's like they'd blown them out of their roosts for the night. Amazing. Imagine if they just stopped, started dropping out of the sky. It's really <laughs> weird sitting that far back in the in the grandstand because you... I don't reckon the speakers were working, so we couldn't hear anything that was happening. Oh, really? Out yeah, it was really kind of odd, but we were dry and comfortable, so that's what what um, what counts, I oh. guess. Um, but what a, one of the most appalling <laughs> games of football that I've ever seen in my life. Oh, to see you guys kick one goal in the first half. Oh, or my whatever God, it was, it was just oh. horrific. That third quarter where you just started kicking, you kicked like eight goals or something, and it was just like, what is... What is happening? Like this is woeful. I think Edo and I were just like woeful, and she was like determined. She thought she'd leave it, you know, at the end of the quarter. I was worried you might leave because fourth quarter was oh, a good mate. one for you guys. I thought they'd got Michael Long or something down to talk to the team. Oh, that's what I said. Yeah, because so they just what came they out said at three quarter time. Yeah. yeah, something must have been said. Um, yeah, and I said maybe they got Longy in there. Um, but yeah, and it was just a like it was a. Bit of a shit night. Like, it was just like, oh, man, I can't believe I left. Had a nice weekend away in Venus Bay to come back for this shit. <laughs> oh, you know. But what? <laughs> and it was just a woeful go- And, like, honestly, it, this is, you think that's the worst of it. I wake up what the next morning. More? Yes, oh yes, there's more. Sorry, I know we've got to finish the show. Oh, it's fine. But I keep I w- going. I wake up from a text from Kath saying, um, uh, text from the bank saying our credit card's been wiped. Either there's been um, th- there's some sort of fraudulent activity. I'm like, what are you talking about? Uh, so it turns out that my wallet got taken at the MCG. Oh, my God, Jess, get the, the F out. Yeah, so, are you serious? Yeah, no, so I have no wallet now. Someone took my wallet and emptied the credit card and emptied my other savings account. Oh, well, not my savings account, my other everyday account how as did they well. Get the, how, did they even, how could they get it out? How I don't did they know. get the it, money out? Oh, just, just online purchases. Yeah. Oh my God. Jeez, that's... <laughs> yeah. I can't swear. <laughs> I know. I'm so, so was... sorry. I'm it's so a... sorry. Oh. You know, we, we genuinely don't know this is when we came in at 6 a.m. this morning. Oh, sorry. Before 6, quarter mm. 6 this morning. So to Jez, how was your weekend? She went, oh, well, I think I got a talk right out of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That sounds so traumatising. But you know what the good thing is, though? I think they um, the bank will give that money back after they do some... Oh, they, they will re- definitely give yeah. the money back, yes. Yeah, so there's that. So that's fine. And also, the fact that I didn't realise until the next morning, I, I think that's a, a blessing. A blessing, because it didn't yeah. ruin your whole night. Yeah. And talk break, totally so worth it. So you were going to just stole it out of your pocket? No, it was in my bag. It's potential that it, uh, they took it out of my bag or, it, it, you know, it might have fallen out of my bag and then someone... Just found it and went, well, happy days. Oh, jeez. I know. 
Anyway, happy holidays. <laughs> Three triple R. I um on the weekend. Um, I, I mentioned this the other day. I um went down to uh, went to Venice Bay to help help out and do some stuff. And one of the things that we had to do was um take out uh, there was an old wardrobe there. Um, right. Sorry, I'm just going. I'm going to talk about something else. All right. Um, yeah. Sorry. That's just in right. case you were like, you said you weren't talking about that before while we were off off mic. Anyway, so there was a, a wardrobe that needed um, to be taken out, and it's in you know, moving stuff is a pain in in the bum. Yeah, the worst. No one likes to do it, right? Uh, but so I had um, it was Kath's mum and I were in in this bedroom with this wardrobe, and we'd kind of emptied everything out of it. And it was re- it's a really old, you know, old thing, and we're like, oh, you know, it's so heavy and stuff. And we're like, how are we going to do this? You know, you do all the classic, take the drawers out. And I was like, oh, well, let's why don't we take the doors off it? You know, found a screwdriver, took the doors off, um, and then it was like, oh. Still wouldn't move. Still yeah, it's still quite heavy, mm. you know. And we were like, so why don't we take the, why don't we take the back out of it, you know? And she said, how are we going to do that? Because it was nailed in. I'm like, let's just kick it in, you know. <laughs> did, did you want to keep are you this wardrobe? Serious? <laughs> oh let's God. just kick it, kick it kick out. Kick it in. You know, because it was just, I'm like, it was going to the, it was, you know, we thought it was going to the tip. Sure. Yeah, and how fun would it if you, you know. Have a chance to kick in a wardrobe. Yeah, it's funny. I, and the whole time I, was, I remembered there was a, um, a a short story I read by Raul Dahl once about um, a guy that had found a, um, a a Chippendale like piece of furniture. Oh, mm, and um, so he said. And the guy, you know, who was selling it, it was just kind of junk, and he didn't realise that he had a Chippendale. So in order to keep the price down. Like he just said to him, "Oh, do you mind if I take that? You know, piece of, you know, just rubbish, just whatever. Do you mind if I take that? I'll give you like five bucks for it or whatever." And the guy's like, "Oh yeah, sure, no problems, you know." And he gave him the five bucks. He goes, "I'll just go and get my trailer and, and come back for it." He goes, like, "I'm just going to use it for firewood, so yeah, I've just you know, I'll go and get my stuff." And and so while he was going to get the trailer, the guy, um, you know, heard that, "Oh, I'm, he's just going to use it for firewood." Um, so went. Oh, I'll just start chopping it up for oh, him. Oh, no. <laughs> so the guy came Learn back. Learn a lesson. With, yeah, it was a pile of rubbish. Anyway, so I was um, thinking about that story as I was kicking through, kicking out the back of the wardrobe, just thinking, I hope this really is going to the tip. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, even I think <laughs> when my dad was renovating the house, I got to use a sledgehammer to smash up the front landing oh, or the really? porch or the stoop or whatever it is. And even though he gave me permission, I was like, uh, are, you, are, you are you sure? sure? Yes. <laughs> it, but uh, still, how good is it? Oh, it was so th- cathartic and brilliant. <laughs> oh, man, it was great. So we, like, I, and I was just, I would hold, you know, the wardrobe and just kick it and it was oh. like Kath's mum Morak was just like oh just hold on a second and let me get the camera because <laughs> she <laughs> we were just having the time of our life right so kicked out the back of it you know managed to get that off I'm like oh this is great um and then it was like you know and then we by that stage we could carry it outside onto the veranda and then I was like can't we just throw it off? Can't we just tip it over the... Oh, this sounds so satisfying. Oh, my... It's actually doing something to my nervous system. Yeah. The idea of just punching a Oh, wardrobe. so good. And then, so, like, it's sitting on top of the, you know, we've got it outside the door. I'm like, come on, just tip it over the edge. Come on, let's... How high up are you? It's not that high, but it was still, you know... It's satisfying. Well, high enough to be awesome. <laughs> high enough to be awesome and high enough not to worry about carrying it down any stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. You know? Like even Moray was like, I'll oh, move the car. Just let me move the car. And Kat's like, no, no, we'll carry it down. Don't be silly. And I'm like, oh, right, party pooper. Um, and then but once we got it down, it was just like, oh, we let it, we slid it down the stairs. So that was a bit of fun. Oh, that's fun. Bit not of fun. as fun as just shoving it off. but No. Nah. And then we were, um, you know, we're going to put it in the back of the car to take to the tip. Uh, the problem was too big for the back of the car. Oh, no. She's like, oh, it's all right. We'll put it on the roof. And I'm like, why don't we just 
why are we just Kick breaking apart? <laughs> and she was like, oh, I guess we could do that. Oh, this wardrobe <laughs> didn't see it coming. At all. Like, <laughs> was it? So good. I'm beginning to think that maybe you have a bunch of pent-up anger at the moment that you're not letting out. Oh, maybe. How many options you had to <laughs> kick that wardrobe why don't we just smash it to pieces just come on do it i said you know we want to just take it apart a bit more and then yeah then a a sledgehammer came out i said because you know we've got i'm like we've got a wood splitter why don't we get that wood splitter like the axe and just go at it she's like we won't do that (laughs) (laughs) but you know got the the sledgehammer just Um, go at it (laughs) anyway but here's the thing once once kath got that hammer and started then it was like at one stage, <laughs> mum was like, hang on a second, I think Geraldine wants to have a go again. And I'm like, no, no, I'm fine just to, to let this happen. So it was just this bang, bang, just taking the whole thing apart. And it was so, obviously we all had some pent up anger and there's something about, you know, smashing something that's so therapeutic. I feel like that could, you could even offer that as a course for people to do. You know, that, that's ah. part of some kind of anger management or yeah, emotional yeah. expression course where you yeah. come and you well, just give them a Smash box. up people's hard rubbish. Yes. Yeah. Well, there is that place in Melbourne where you can go in and just smash things up in that room. Yeah. What do you smash? I think they just have plates and stuff. There's oh. a whole... I don't know. What I do even... you think the most satisfying thing is to smash? If you could get that... If you had oh. one smash... Well, one for the smash. rest of your life, what would you smash? <laughs> oh. I smashed a TV. Oh, that's like the ultimate yeah, smash. Yeah, and it was like each with a baseball bat. I threw it off a balcony and then you bashed with a baseball not. bat. Yeah, it was fun. That's... And each each whack Were you was in like Motley Crue special. To... Um, was... Yeah, there was like three or four of us. Was it a fat back? Oh, yeah, TV, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. an old school TV yeah. fat back? Oh, God, it was good. Well, what were you doing? Why? Now I'm scared to ask no, why. No, 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 it wasn't bad. It was just time for it to go. And I was like, <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's make let the most go. of this. Yeah. I think I had. Um, but then you got to clean it up. I mean, that's the really draining thing. Oh. Are TVs dangerous to smash? Is probably. It? Yeah, yeah okay. I think there's some. I don't think oh, the neighbours were happy. Yeah. <laughs> I did, you know what else is fun is smashing um, windscreens on cars. Oh, oh, okay. oh my god! Have you ever done that? Hey, this is not a. This is vigilante hour. There's no. No, we're not recommending this behaviour. No, 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 no. But he's tell me, me about out. it. <laughs> This is at a um, – I had I, – my friend um, – when we were in um, high school, I had a friend who um, was like a – her dad was like a sound engineer, like did all the, did all the sound at major events. And we were early, so he was, you know, setting up for a major event, which happened to be a monster truck rally. <gasps> so they had all the cars lined up ready for the monster truck to drive over them all. And we were like, well, they're going to get smashed anyway. So we just walked along the hoods of cars, just smashing in the windscreens and stuff. And it was one of the best days of my (laughs) life. But also we got in... (laughs) got into so much trouble. You weren't meant to smash them up? No, because that was for the monster truck. One of the best things is when the windscreen pops yeah. out. Oh, the pristine. Yeah. yeah. And then, but they were already smashed up by some 14-year-olds. <laughs> you have to glad wrap them all up again. No, we just left it. Dirt, dirt, dirt. It's where you groom your pants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you get some on your pants. And you start saying about It's Tuesday, which means it's time to get down and dirty with Digger. Welcome. Morning, all. How are we? Hello. Keeping warm? Yes. yes. Only a few days left of autumn. Yeah. Mm. But there's so much to do. So much to do. The leaves are falling everywhere. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's still plenty to go. You know, uh, the deciduous season lasts. Uh, for many, many months, and there's there's some leaves on the ground now, and there's a whole stack more to come. So I thought I'd talk about what to do with all this stuff, oh. because for decades people have just been chucking them in their green waste bin, and the council comes and takes it away. But they're such an amazing resource that you should keep. Oh, it's good for like playing in. Absolutely, you know, just run and jump into it. Around. Yeah, uh, that, you don't see that anymore. You no, don't I see. Do. You don't see it. 
Um, maybe my kids are a little bit weird. That's one thing that they're always looking out for. Um, but, yeah, you just don't see it anymore. And there should be more adults getting into it. I agree. I saw someone uh, try to burn them with petrol and uh, incinerated their whole backyard. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. True story. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Was this person you? <laughs> Busted. Um, so there's a, there's a few main things that you can do with them. Um, and it's not weird to go out and collect them. Um, depending on where you live, I would say one thing, like if you live on a main road, then maybe the toxins that are in there from all the fumes is probably not ideal. But if you're in a you know, quiet little street, um, even in parks, um, well worth collecting. So the most common one is to compost them. Um, so gather them up and mix them up with all your other ingredients that are going into the compost and make some compost with them. Magic, because they're chock full of nutrients. And the, I, the whole idea is that you, you know, chopping them down, you get a whole stack of diversity, you get great compost. And that's a quick way of doing it because composting really relies on bacterial decomposition. So that's fast because mm-hmm. bacteria love air and compost. You know, if you've got l- lots of different particle sizes, you're going to have lots of air. So that's one way. Mm. Another one is called leaf moulding. Ever heard that term no. before? There you go. Um, so it's essentially just using deciduous leaves. So you're not mixing it in with other stuff that would go into compost. It's purely just the deciduous leaves. So, again, preferable to chop them up really small. So, you know, make a pile and then get your lawnmower and run over them a few times. Oh, that's yeah. fun. Or, yeah, yeah, just breaking stuff. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine sitting there with some scissors, but yeah, that is a much better option. That's yeah, I can, you're into bonsai, aren't you? <laughs> um, great therapy to sit there and just slowly mm. even breaking with your hands and yeah. that kind of stuff. That's not the kind of job your mum would give you to, when you were a kid. That's what the job my mum yeah. gave us um, when we were naughty. We had yeah. to sit there and chop a branch with a pair of secateurs into one-inch pieces. Oh. It's called time out. <laughs> um, clever. Um, so, yeah, ideally you could, you know, chop them up with your lawnmower or you could just leave them whole and then put them into a big pile. And the whole idea is not to turn it like compost. You really want to squash all the air out of it. So composting classic, good composting is done aerobically with air and that breeds bacteria. Leaf moulding is not turning it and just let them squash down slowly on, by themselves, which tends to be an environment that fungi-like. Mm. It makes sense that, you know, low oxygen, a bit more moist, not disturbed, and that's where fungi grow. So the result of that, that you end up with this really intense, beautiful, fine, chocolatey material, but it does take time. So, you know, say if you had your classic compost bin, you know, the black plastic compost Mm -hmm. bin that most people have, um, bad for composting, perfect for leaf moulding. So you just chuck it all in there and don't touch it and come back in two years' time. Wow. That's a long wait. Yeah, and if you just have if some you mushrooms. you might even have some mushrooms in there. Don't, be careful with mushroom people. Don't just go out and eat any mushrooms. Even though it is mushroom season now, you've got to know what you're dealing with because you know it can turn you bad die. very quickly. Have some bad diarrhea yeah, at, at best. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just no, I won't go. I just hear someone saying you have to renew my lease. I'm composting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm leaf molding. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, I want to sign a two year lease. <laughs> Um, so the beautiful thing about um, leaf mould is it's the perfect material to use as a potting medium. Now, it might be the answer to your um, floristry foam in, as an alternative <laughs> to floristry foam. That was a secret. <laughs> um, in that it's a great additive. You can raise seedlings in it, so just directly sow your seeds in it. Because it's so fine and so moist and, and chocolatey, it's perfect for seed germination. But it's also something that if you want to make your own potty mix, so a lot of people, you know, when you do your repotting, you've got this all this old, you know, manky potting mix. By adding a leaf mould to it, you kind of rejuvenate it, and so you can save a lot of bucks by not having to go out and buy potting mix all the time, just adding leaf mould. Speaking of seeds, um, a, a listener has texted in say, asking, how do I germinate gum nuts, please? Someone to grow for a tree planting group. Uh, tough, because there's all different sorts of techniques for different species. So it's very species specific. Um, so some of them actually, you know, would smoke. Some of them you need, you don't smoke them, you'd add smoke to them to mm. crack the nut open. Um, some of them uh, respond well to soaking, so you'd soak them overnight. So it's, yeah, jump on the internet, it's very species specific. Do different leaves have different properties? Yeah, absolutely. So um, especially the deciduous leaves coming from um, obviously plants from the Northern Hemisphere, and the reason they drop their leaves is because they're responding to climate. So 
being thin and broad, usually deciduous plants, they're not going to survive a winter being, you know, being really cold. So they suck the chlorophyll back out of them. So the green pigment, that's why we see all the other colours, the orange, yellow, red. That's all the other trace elements that the tree's been taking up over, over the year. So they're chock-a-block full of those nutrients. So that's why you know, stuff like evergreen trees, because they don't you know, lose that chlorophyll, there's different NPK. Remember that from school? NPK, yes. nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium? No. No? So, there's, you know, <laughs> there's macro, macronutrients and micronutrients, but deciduous leaves in particular have lots and lots of micronutrients. And remember, that's what the actual tree is doing. It's dropping those leaves to the ground in order for them to slowly break down, and that contributes to the forest floor. So that was a perfect segue. We didn't even talk about that to my next point. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, is leave them on the ground is another option. Oh, that was what I was going to ask. Or can you just pick them up, grab handfuls of them and put them around the bottom of other plants? Yeah, just use it as mulch. That's yeah, what right. its actual purpose is. So it drops those leaves to the ground, which then becomes food for the ground biodiversity. So all the invertebrates, um, so think of your slaters and millipedes and worms and those things, yeah. who then get to feed on it. And as they poo, they put that nutrient into the soil. So then when the tree wakes up at you know, the end of winter, start of spring, that all that nutrient is in a form that the trees can reabsorb through water because they don't chew, they drink. And so they need all that biodiversity to break all that stuff down. What about on a veggie patch? Not so much? Absolutely. Oh, really? Yeah, especially the, the deciduous ones. Evergreen ones are a bit different because evergreen leaves usually have a higher oil content. Mm. So think of eucalyptus and pine and mm. those kind of things, which can act as a growth suppressant. Okay. So that's that's not ideal for your veggies. So your lettuce has never evolved with eucalyptus as a as a leaf litter. Yeah. So kind of putting like with like. Um, so it's a perfect thing just to leave on the ground. So it's it you think about it, it's such a weird thing for humans to go out and pick up all spend all this time and effort picking up all these leaves and putting them in your green waste bin and getting someone to take it away and then going down to the nursery or whatever and buying nutrients. Yeah, bags totally. of fertilizer to put back on the garden mm. it's a you know it's just not a rational idea i love the look of it too don't you the carpet of deciduous leaves is oh, absolutely beautiful gorgeous. Yeah. but just to circle back if you're on a main road <laughs> and you're doing this what what's the danger of putting uh, petrol on lead no no <laughs> lead, right lead heavy in the metals leaves. mainly out of out of car fumes um, and just general pollution is, you know, is not something that you want to be adding, especially to your vegetable, your food. So you food think gardens. you're doing good, but you're ruining your garden. Yeah, so you could probably use it, but just put it on your ornamental garden, not on your, your edible stuff. Okay. So mm-hmm. it's a huge resource. And to speed it up quickly, just one last point. You know, the number one powerful thing on planet Earth is obviously water. So you could actually collect them and put them into a big bathtub or a bucket or something and soak them, and then that would you know, accelerate the decomposition process and then you've got a liquid fertiliser that you could pour out onto your garden as well. All right. Oh. Well, we'll, we'll let you get out of here. And like Captain Planet. That's right. <laughs> With your pair of scissors. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> uh, Digger, thanks so much for coming in. Pleasure. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. The 2019 Creative State Summit is hosted by Creative Victoria at Melbourne Museum on May 30 and 31. And one of its speakers this year is Hilary O'Shaughnessy, lead producer of Playable City. She's here to shed light on what that concept means for design and development in Melbourne and around the world. Hilary, welcome to Breakfasters. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. What on earth is a playable city? Um, okay, <laughs> so Playable City is a concept that we came up with um, in an organisation called Watershed in Bristol in the southwest of England. And it was kind of our response to smart city um, development, which was all like, oh, this tech is, will save us all. And we should just like techify everything. And, and, and everyone's saying it's fine, it's fine. And actually, we started to dig into that a bit. And it was sort of expecting a world where people didn't really matter and where we all just, just kind of accept that we'll just communicate digitally and uh, everything will be the same around the world and we were kind of like very upset about this because actually we love difference and we love the chaos of cities and we like the fact that Bristol is really different to Melbourne and New York and Mm. and, and tech should be connecting us not um, helping us disassociate Um, and so we uh, started to a thing called the Playable City Award where we commissioned artists who are making interesting work in cities on a smaller scale and said what if we gave them like uh, producing support and money to develop their work so it became uh, across the city and we thought about play as a really uh, good entry point for people to be able to interact with technology because it's very easy to do you don't have to like some of the rules we had for the original award were you 
don't have to know anything about technology. You don't have to own a, a 600 pound phone in order to play a game or, you know, we wanted to make it really accessible and really open and kind of start conversations about technology in our city and, and what it means for us and what we want. Mm. And what are some of the applications that you've seen introduced around the world so far? Um, so a good example is a project that we had called Shadowing, which was a designers Chomko and Rosier. Um, and they basically replaced the tech that is in a regular street lamp. Um, and so if you walked underneath the street lamp, it would uh, record your shadow and then play it back after you. <laughs> and so people sort of like would suddenly go, hang on, what just happened there? <laughs> and then they would start to do, you know, silly walks and bring their dog and dance and anything you can imagine people doing with their shadow, they did. Um, and um, yeah, and so, but what was really nice about it is it was a fun project to like sort of get people moving about on the street differently, really easy way in. But then people started to have conversations about sort of with the city about, well, why is that there? And why do you do this? And hmm. why what what makes it work? and hang, hang on a second and it ended up having conversations about surveillance and how how all this stuff works on a really normal conversational street level and so it wasn't just experts coming in telling people what to think and, and the city responded really well to it of uh, the city of Bristol because they're used to people just coming to them with complaints <laughs> and not actually talking about in the UK city. no way <laughs> <laughs> you know which I understand but yeah so that's an example of uh, it even took us by surprise where we kind of thought oh this might be fun we'll see where it goes and actually it sort of sparked really interesting conversations and um, what is stop smile stroll stop smile stroll was a project that was in development uh, that, that was us thinking about traffic actually it was um Hirsch and Mann, a really cool studio in uh, london and they wanted to think about that moment in traffic where everybody is stopped and sort of just angry you know if you whether you're on a bike or you're waiting to cross the road or you're in a car you're like come on come on come on come on and they thought, well, what if they could interrupt that moment with something fun for people to connect with or just to loosen up that sort of tension in cities? Um, and so they kind of created this game where you would um, take kind of an aggregate of people's emotions who were waiting at the crossroads. So you, they would do a kind of really simple facial recognition tool, which then is deleted immediately afterwards. They're not right. sort of doing anything <laughs> creepy with it, you know. Um, and, and sort of go, okay, well, yeah, hey, everybody's feeling a bit crap today. And then sort of like celebrate that moment when you got across the road, you got a kind of a song that reflected how you felt today. And it was just kind of... And it was another one of those projects where we thought, are people just going to hate us for this? Like, <laughs> we always make an opt-in. Um, and actually we tested it in really terrible weather at this festival in Bristol called Layered Realities. And people were just jumping at it. I mean... I was worried people were like, oh, don't record my face. And they were like, how does it work? Let me at it. You know, so people just want to do fun, weird things with technology on the street if you give them an opportunity. And, and it's just really nice to see. You've worked in a lot of different countries around the world. Was there any either commonality or differences between the way that we play in different countries or that we want to interact with play? Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, so we've done, uh, and, and I suppose what we've learned from working around the world is like our first question is, what's public space here? Like, where do yeah, people right. hang out? Mm -hmm. And, and you know, there's sometimes a, a desire for people to show you the best part of their city, which I understand. But sometimes we're like, yeah, but where do people really hang out? You know, where do, where do people get drunk? Where do people wait for the bus? Where do, you know? Um, and so we've had to also understand the codes of how people behave in public space. So we always work with local people when we go to a place. We don't kind of roll in going, hey, here's what we do. So we work with local artists. And, and so, for example, we've done a lot of work in Tokyo in Japan and their rules of public space are very, very, different to what we know people are very polite and uh, much more polite than in the uk for sure <laughs> um, and it's almost rude to sort of interrupt people so when we did some residencies last year we had to really think about especially with the olympics coming up was how to tell people that it's okay and once you tell people it's okay once they get the the signifiers that they can join in then they really go for it mm. but they need a lot of support to say no no really it's fine you're not being rude you're not offending anyone have a go and then yeah the natural playful japanese personality then goes for it you know <laughs> yeah, so it's been right. really interesting in that respect so melbourne is a is a playable city now or is it about to become a 
Like, what sort of fun things can I go out and do today? <laughs> today, uh, you could probably actually Troy Innocent, one of the artists that we're working with. I think his um, his Melbourne tram is still live. Where you could, uh, it was one of the art trams for the festival earlier on in the year mm. um, and you could use an app to the tram was a musical score so you had an app and you pointed it at the tram and depending on the speed of the tram it would play a different score oh, cool. and I think it's still somewhere in the city it's about to be um, taken well, off the well there's road. an adventure so you could do that today if <laughs> yeah. you like um, but uh, yeah so what we're trying to do myself and Troy is, is build a community of people around this who've done some workshops with the city to like get a team of people going to start Playable City in Melbourne and commission local work and find people here who want to do the same thing that we did in Bristol scale up play on a big scale and, and, and have a lot of fun in Melbourne and one that's appropriate to Melbourne as well so can it ever backfire? And we have something in mind. Because uh, you know, we've got proof that it does. Is this playable? There was a 38-metre slide which linked two streets in Spain and they shut it a day after opening because it was in yeah. es, uh, Estepona and people were hurtling and caused injuries. So this 38-metre this, this slide was supposed to cut down travel time because it, it spared them a 10-minute walk. <laughs> They went straight to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, is that um, an example? Of playable? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it can go, it can go terribly wrong, and um, that's that's for sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, we haven't killed anyone yet. <laughs> that's our goal. But um, no, we're uh, we do a lot of testing, you know, and we do make sure that we have a lot of like the studio where we're based. We have a very open way of speaking about things. So very early on in a process, people can put their hands up and go, you know, this is a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to have those people around you who go, no, 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 like, really. So we, we do a lot of testing with people really early on in the street. So, yeah, I think that was a case of somebody having an idea and <laughs> implementing it somewhere else. And nobody, nobody got to say, uh, yeah, that's the skull crusher that you're building there. <laughs> Tell us about the, like, the first time you, you know, I guess you finished building something and you got to watch the general public test, you know, try it out for the first time. Um. It's actually, that's really, that's always a good moment because like, for example, the shadowing project is you're dealing with city infrastructure departments and you have to do it at night time and everybody's kind of grumpy because it's two o'clock in the morning and you're standing in the cold going, will this bloody thing ever work? And there's always that moment then where we get it working and we go back and we just sit on a wall somewhere and watch people experience it. And suddenly people start to kind of like, they start dancing in the street and you get that moment of like, oh, this is why we do it. It's mm. it's, it's it's really nice. And it's the people you um, expect the least to sort of, you know, get involved. Or you see, like, especially if we have it somewhere near Watershed, you see people kind of coming along and they're kind of looking at it suspiciously for a couple of days going, oh, no, I'm not going near that. <laughs> and then eventually you catch them and they're having a little shimmy on the street <laughs> to themselves and you're like, yeah, cool, you know. So it's always a nice... And people, like, are really grateful for public art, you know. Um, and we're that's why we want it on the street and free so everyone can take part and... So, yeah, it, it does always deliver those nice moments. All right. Well, Hilary O'Shaughnessy is speaking at the 2019 Creative State Summit, hosted by Creative Victoria at Melbourne Museum on 30, the 30th and 31st of May. Go to creativesummit.com for details. Uh, Hilary, enjoy Melbourne while you're here. I will. I and love it here. Thanks for coming into play. Thank you. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR.